Blocking Washington Commanders D tackle Jonathan Allen is the key to victory for the Falcons. And also today we'll be talking about why I hate Chase Young and where Marcus Mariota can improve in order to get this Falcons offense cooking and show why he deserves to be the Falcons starting quarterback moving forward. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Sirius Black, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. your very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family. And today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more odds, lines, and props than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. So, guys, we thank you for making Locked On Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, it's free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to Locked On Falcons on YouTube, and you will get the video version of the podcast the night before the audio drops. So today's might be an exception of that because the night before the audio of this podcast drops is Thanksgiving evening, and I am obviously, as you guys can tell watching on the video, uh, broadcasting from an undisclosed location. It's my parents' house, um, you know, he, here during the Thanksgiving week, but figured I'd throw out some content on Friday as usual. We, you know, we, we will not be joined by Jarvis Davis today, uh, but I will be sort of stepping in, doing my best Jarvis Davis impression, giving you one key to victory. And like Jarvis always does, it is going to be focused on the trenches. And that is going to be if the Falcons can keep Jonathan Allen contained, they will have a chance to win this game. Allen is one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the NFL, and the Falcons can block him, keep him contained, uh, and prevent him from having a big day. They should be okay. They should be able to function offensively uh, this season. Jonathan Allen currently is second behind Chris Jones, according to PFF, in pressures this year. He's tied for fourth among D tackles uh, with six and a half sacks. Um, and he's the true star of that Washington run. I know Deron Payne has six and a half sacks and Montez Sweat has six and a half or six sacks. And, we, you know, we'll talk about Chase Young uh, later in today's episode because a listener wanted to know what's my big beef with Chase Young. Uh, and obviously this week presents a perfect opportunity because he may be making uh, his debut as Locked On Commanders uh, co-host David Harrison mentioned on yesterday's crossover. So Washington's front is formidable. They're 11th in sacks this year, in part due to the, the trio of Allen, Payne, and Sweat. But, you know, it's really uh, Jonathan Allen that really is the guy that moves the needle for uh, that Washington front. And we saw him last year against uh, Jalen Mayfield, absolutely destroy Jalen Mayfield in that game. And we don't quite know who's going to start this game at left guard. The Falcons have had musical chairs at that position. I'm assuming it's going to be Chuma Adoga, but I know he was dealing with some injury issues earlier this week. The Falcons elevate Ryan Newsel from the practice squad. Uh, you know, Kobe Gossett missed some time last week. So uh, we may have some musical chairs. Jalen Mayfield's technically activated off IR, so technically he could get activated to the roster Saturday and, and you know, start potentially. So who knows? Again, I'm assuming Adoga is going to be the starter uh, this week, assuming his health uh, checks out. And he's coming off a solid game. You know, it wasn't the cleanest game. Um, you know, he, he gave up a couple of pressures in that Bears game 
you know, the Bears didn't generate a ton of pressure in that game because they don't have a really good front anymore. Uh, but, you know, Adoga was one of the few guys that did get beat in that game. Um, and part of that was he had a tendency to jump set guys. And for those of you not familiar with that term, jump setting is basically when the offensive lineman, instead of going backwards as normal in pass protection to sort of uh, guard the pocket, he tries to go forward. And it's basically being more aggressive in your uh, pass protection. And it can work at times. It's basically the idea of like, oh, I'm going to win this rep in the first second. But the problem is if uh, you don't win, uh, it opens you up to getting beat with like quick moves, like swim moves and whatnot. And, you know, if you lose that rep, it's it's a wrap for you because you can't recover from that situation. And doing that against Jonathan Allen, I think, will be a huge problem. So uh, Adoga or whoever is the Falcons left guard will have his challenges this week. But if he can, whoever that guy is, and, and Allen, I think, spends like 95% of his snaps lined up at the right side of the defensive line. So he's going up against the left side of the offensive line. Um you know, whoever that guy is, uh, is 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 going to have his hands full. But if he can block him effectively on first downs when the Falcons want to run the ball, if he can block him effectively on third downs uh, when the Falcons probably will throw the ball more often, then that will give this Falcons offense a chance to function. Again, Allen's going to get his, right? It's not about stopping him. It's containing him, right? You're going to see number 93 making several plays on Sunday. But as long as he's not taking over the game, uh, the Falcons – should be fine. But speaking of players that will not be taking over the game, guys, let's talk about Chase Young. We'll get into that as we continue. As a listener wanted to know, what's my beef with Chase Young, right? Uh, you know, my expert opinion on Chase Young, and we'll get into that. This would be the only time I can really wax poetic. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, David Harrison of Lockdown Commander says that this potentially could be Chase Young's debut, although he'll probably be a limited role. And we'll get into all of that as we continue today's episode, guys. But before we get there, I want to tell you about Prize Picks, a fun new way to play daily fantasy. All you got to do is pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than the Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry, and it takes less than 60 seconds to enter. And the great thing is you're not competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. They're offering projections not only on the NFL, but NBA, uh, NHL, PGA, college football, and so much more. Prize Picks is safe. It's fast. It's easy. It's currently in operation in over 30 states in the U.S. and Canada. All you got to do is download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and first time users can receive a 100 instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on that means if you deposit $100 prize picks is going to match it 100% with another $100 if you deposit $50 prize picks is going to give you 50 don't forget that promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 and guys, I want to thank you for making Locked On Falcons your first listen. And for your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today, where you can get uh, the insights from the local experts that go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes. Subscribe to Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. So our next question comes from Anthony White at Georgia Pride 8 on Twitter. He is, what are the biggest reasons why you think that Chase Young is overrated? I'm not disagreeing with you. I just want to know why from your expert knowledge of watching film, much respect to the show and keep doing what you do. Well, thank you, Anthony. Of course, I am an expert. Uh, I've never been wrong. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, let's let's go all the way back to the beginning with Chase Young, right? You know, I was a fan of Chase Young coming out. You know, I thought he was the best non-quarterback prospect in that 2020 draft. I remember watching him during Nick Bosa's final year at Ohio State and like, who's this other guy? And he was, looked like he was going to be the next star, uh, you know, from Ohio State who had a nice little pipeline uh, doing that run with the, the Bosa brothers and then ultimately Chase Young. 
Um, although I did not quite see Chase Young as this sort of generational prospect that others did, you know, my main concern with him um, was, his, you know, the fact that he didn't work out ahead of that 2020 draft. And that was the COVID draft where he opted, you know, like a coward, kidding, um, <laughs> to not work out at the combine. And then, of course, COVID hit. And so there were no pro day workouts there. And so for me, when it comes to pass pressure, I do factor in uh, uh, testing highly again it's not the end-all be-all of a player's evaluation but the venn diagram in terms of there's a lot of overlap when you look at the best pass rushers in the nfl and this goes back decades this is not just like a recent phenomenon all right there's like decades of data that backs this up but the venn diagram of you know productive pass rushers versus guys that test well uh it, there's a lot of overlap there's a there's a couple of outliers michael ben is probably the best example of an outlier over the last you know decade or so uh, but for the most part, if you're going to be a productive pass rusher, you're going to test well. And not having that data on Chase Young, you know, prevented me from declaring him as this generational pass rusher that so many did, saying that he's one of the best pass rushers of the last 20 years plus, et cetera. So I was lower on Chase Young than most, but, I, you know, I wasn't low on him. You know what I'm saying? So uh, then he has his rookie year. He's solid as a rookie. He wins defensive rookie year. I had no problem with him winning defensive rookie year because who else are they going to give the award to? Maybe Antoine Winfield. I get how these awards work, right? You know, like Patrick Mahomes is going to win MVP this year because MVP goes to either a player that has historical statistical significance like Matt Ryan did or Adrian Peterson did when they won their MVPs, or they're just the quarterback on the best team. Uh, and in this case, unfortunately for Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes' numbers blow Jalen Hurts' out the water. So, you know, Mahomes is going to win the MVP. I'm not saying that he shouldn't win the MVP. I'm just saying, like, I get how awards work. They, you know, they go to certain players and, and Chase Young winning defensive rookie year, I had no problem with, right? But it all started, my beef with Chase Young all started when I was doing an episode, I think, in the first or so week of December that year in 2020, uh, where, you know, I, I think I've done it in the year since and probably will do it again this year in a couple of weeks uh, during the final week of Pro Bowl voting, where I, I basically go through who my Pro Bowl picks are. And um, I was looking at Chase Young and I was really watching him a little bit more because I'm like, well, you know, this is not really matching up with what I'm seeing. Um and, and so, like, I did not think he was worthy of the Pro Bowl, right? Because at that point in time, I think he was, like, 25th in the NFC in terms of edge, among edge rushers in terms of pressure. He wasn't even in the top 50 among all players. Uh, once you factor in the AFC, uh, he did, he was able to pad his stats a little bit against some backups uh, against Carolina and Philadelphia later that season, um, you know, to, to enhance his numbers a little bit. But... It, it became an issue for me because I'm like, I, this guy's not that good. And, and this probably is my number one beef with pro football focus, uh, which was like, you know, during that season and after that season, they were sort of pushing this hype train on, on Chase Young a little bit. And like, oh, he he absolutely lived up to the hype as a rookie. And he's he's you know, he's going to be an incredible football player. And I'm just like watching the film and I'm like, it does not match up uh, at all with what you're saying. And so, you know, the, the big knock I had on Chase Young was that he did not rush with the clan. Right. And this reminds me so much of Vic Beasley during his years, because you remember guys towards the end of Vic Beasley's career, everybody was like, oh, Vic Beasley's motor is bad because he gives up on these plays. And the thing I always push back on is like, it's not a question of, of motor with Vic Beasley. It's a question of not having a plan. Right. Vic Beasley's plans were very rudimentary. Right. He's going to win with his speed on his first step. And if he didn't do that, he really had nothing. Right. He didn't have the length. He didn't have the size. He didn't have the strength. He didn't have the counter moves or any of that stuff to do anything if he didn't win on that first step. Right. He was a fastball pitcher. Right. And he had a good fastball, let's say like a 95 mile per hour fastball. But he didn't have an incredible fastball. And so once 
offensive tackles could hit that fastball, Vic Beasley had nothing to do with him. And, and especially given that offensive tackles were often outweighing him by like 80 pounds. And so there was really nothing he could do uh, to win that engagement if he didn't have a plan B, if he didn't have a counter move, if he didn't have spin moves, if he didn't have, you know, all these other things that you need to be an effective pass rusher. Right. And so when I watch, you know, Chase Young on film, I see a similar player of a guy that's just kind of standing around often that doesn't rush with a plan, that doesn't really use any pass rush moves, even though he has these incredible tools, right? The size, the power, the length, you know, all these things that are going for him, but he has not at all refined them in any shape or form. And, you know, there's been this hype train among football media that this puts Chase Young on, on this pedestal, talking about him as this generational pass rusher and the guy that commands double teams and a guy that must be game plan for And I'm like, none of these people are watching the film. None of it's true, right? Again, defensive rookie year, I get it. But anything beyond that, like none of that hype that we've gotten on Chase Young is, is true. And, you know, last year he gets hurt. So, you know, that becomes the immediate excuse for why he hasn't quite lived up to the hype. Although prior to his injury, you know, I started reading and seeing more people being like, hey, you know, Chase Young's not playing particularly well. And I'm like, yes, finally, people are starting to catch on because they're actually sitting down and watching the film. And obviously, you know, it was a a, a huge moment for me personally, for my brand, when Caleb McGarry was able to shut him down in that Washington game last year where Chase Young had zero, zero impact on that football game and it was basically a win-win for my brand either you know you're you're gonna stay with me on mcgarry island and say you know what mcgarry island's not that bad because he was able to shut down a superstar like chase young or you're basically like chase young's maybe a little bit overrated because you know mcgarry island was able <laughs> to, to to shut him down so it was a win-win for my brand and so while I think Chase Young has a wealth of talent and absolutely over the course of his career could start living up to the hype and become the superstar player that people have hyped him to be, you know, he needs to start rushing with a plan. He needs to start using pass rush moves. And currently he doesn't do that. And that's an issue that I've noticed time and time again with a lot of pass rushers that transition from college that are quote unquote polished technical guys. And then they get to the NFL and they just kind of rely on their athleticism uh, before they relearn those skills that they showed in college. I've noticed that a number of times, but that probably be a conversation that will lead to the offseason when we talk a little bit more about some of the potential uh, targets that the Falcons have. Uh, in the offseason. So I think Chase Young fits into that paradigm as well. So I do think Chase Young, again, has the talent to become a star in this league. He absolutely does, right? Uh, he just hasn't become it yet. And I just think people are prematurely crowning him. Uh, and if he does turn into that star, I will absolutely own it, guys. I will sit here and be like, yeah, I gave Chase Young a lot of grief for the first two and a half years of his NFL career. And then eventually he was able to turn a corner. Maybe that starts this weekend, you know, Again, maybe I'm jinxing the Falcons and Chase Young has like four sacks this weekend. And then like, I'll just eat that plate of crow. But, you know, until we get to that day, you know, I'm going to sit here and pound the table and say like, man, this guy is, is not as good as people make him out to be. And it's so obvious when you pop on the film. And again, this is part of like my film snobbery where I'm like, hey, you know, watch the film and it'll give you all the answers. And like nobody else has seemingly watched the film. So I'm just going to be super loud about it and pound the table and be like, hey, I'm the only person watching the film. This guy's overrated, blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it all fits with the brand here on, you know, Locked on Falcons, the arrogance, the know-it-allness, all that sort of stuff. So that's where it comes from, Anthony. I hope that is a, a, a fair explanation uh, for you, but we'll leave the Chase Young conversation aside. We'll 
turn the conversation in before we wrap up. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the Commanders. Let's talk about the Falcons a little. Let's talk about why Brian Edwards, right, in terms of living up to the hype, uh, hasn't lived up to the hype. And we'll talk a little bit about what may, uh, Marcus Mariota needs to do in order to unlock uh, the full potential of this Falcons offense. And we'll get into it as we continue today's episode. But now I want to tell you uh, and provide a word from our sponsor, Simply Safe. Did you know that during the holidays, property crimes and package theft spike nationally? That's why our friends at Simply Safe Home Security are offering 50% off their award winning security system so that families can feel safe and secure this holiday season. I know and trust Simply Safe. I've been a customer for the last eight years. I had a break in back in 2014. I didn't have a security system at the time. I got Simply Safe because it was the most affordable option at the time. I've kept them for the last eight years because I love how customizable they are. Whether you're looking for a bare bones security system or you're looking for all the bells and whistles with the HD live streaming security cameras, you want to control your system via the phone app, or you want a, high, a wide variety of high tech sensors like smoke leak. Uh, detectors, freezing pipes, all that stuff and more. Simply Safe uh, provides it at Simply Safe. Your security and safety is the only thing that matters with its cutting edge technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents that will always have your back, dispatching police and first responders at the moment of a threat or an emergency if your home uh, is broken into or you can't even be reached. So don't miss your chance to save big uh, and get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash locked on NFL today. This is the biggest discount of the year. So don't wait. Simplysafe.com slash locked on NFL. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So, guys, uh, through the power of editing, those of you that are listening to the audio version of this episode did not notice my wardrobe change. Those of you watching the video version of this episode have noticed that. That's because the rest of this episode I recorded th early Thursday morning at a time when Brian Edwards was still on the Falcons roster. Uh, they wound up cutting him in the afternoon and i had a listener question from earlier in the week uh on a youtube comment from raw meat he asked why do you think brian edwards is buried in our depth chart i really thought he would be a major part of our offense i answered that and talked a little bit about maybe an expanded role for brian edwards with the injury for kyle pitts obviously that would be for not but i'll basically break down sort of why brian edwards got buried on depth chart and you can sort of draw your conclusions that lead to his release based off of that now that we have that full context uh going on but basically uh uh, all the wide receivers have basically been marginalized in large part due to the Falcons' reliance on their running game, but especially the number three wide receiver in this case, uh, being Brian Edwards, uh, got marginalized in this offense in large part due to the fact that the Falcons almost never used three wide receiver sets. I saw a stat from the end of October that said the Falcons only use 11 personnel on 25% of their snaps. The league average is around 60%. Um, and uh, what was notable is last year, the Falcons only used 11 personnel as three wide receiver sets on 31% of their snaps. Uh, and I think a lot of us, myself included, thought that was just mostly due to the fact, oh, well, they don't have wide receiver depth. And so that's why they are dialing down these 11 personnel groups uh, but with the improvement, we thought that would be expanded a little bit. Still wouldn't be probably the 60%, but maybe 40, 50%, something like that. And obviously that was not the case. And seemingly the, the correct conclusion was this is just the design of the offense. That Arthur Smith sees fullbacks and number two tight ends as much more valuable in the way that he wants to run his offense um, than a number three wide receiver. And so that number three wide receiver, at least in Atlanta's offense, is going to see on average roughly 30 to 35 snaps less than he would on an average NFL offense. And that basically meant that someone was going to get left out in the cold. And uh, that proved to be Brian Edwards. You know, a player like Alameda Zacchaeus is technically their number two 
wide receiver. And really, again, when you look at the hierarchy of the receivers, Kyle Pitts is number one, Drake London is maybe one B or number two, and Alameda Zacchaeus is that third wide receiver. And the reason why Ozzy leapfrog Brian Edwards is because he brings a complementary skill set to those guys. He brings quickness, speed, separation skills. That's the number one trait you're looking at in a wide receiver, the ability to get open, the ability to separate. And Brian Edwards wasn't really bringing that. He's basically what a poor man's Drake London. And when you already have a quote unquote rich man's Drake London, you don't really need a poor man's version. Now, we all had dreams of like, oh, there'll be those one-two punch like Corey Davis and A.J. Brown were in Tennessee. And that did not prove to be the case. And, you know, part of me was like, well, you know, when people were overhyping, oh, we're building this basketball team of contested cash guys with size and all this stuff in the offseason, I was like, ah, you know, I think people are a little overhyping this. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, I guess that proved true. Um, but really, I think the, the way of looking at it is, yeah, you want to build a basketball team, but you just don't want to stock it with front court players. You need to build a backcourt. And that's where the Demir Birds and the Alameda Zacchaeus mix into it. You just don't want power forwards and centers. You got to have some, you know, point guards, some slashers, some wingmen, all that sort of stuff. And I think that's where, you know, the Falcons ultimately uh, went to. And so, you know, ultimately that led to Brian Edwards' demise, the reason why he's no longer on the roster over a Frank Darby, a Kadero Hodge, a Demir Bird. Those guys bring special teams value, right? You know, in addition to having that complementary skill set like Bird and Ozzy on offense with their quickness and their speed and all that stuff, Hodge and, and Darby play special teams. And that's never something that Brian Edwards has done in his NFL career. And given, you know, his playing style being a little bit on the slower side, uh, probably was not going to necessarily be the guy that you wanted out there, you know, running down kick returners uh, in, in, in whatnot. So uh, ultimately that cost Brian Edwards his spot on the roster. And it's unfortunate, you know, I think we all, uh, you know, even if you could have, if I could have sat here and said, oh, I was lower on Brian Edwards than, than your average Falcon fan. I saw him as a sort of a, a Muhammad Sanu type of player and, and Longtime listeners know I wasn't the biggest fan of Muhammad Sanu uh, as a contributor. I did certainly still think that he was going to contribute a lot more than what he did this year. So it's unfortunate for Brian Edwards. The Falcons are now out a fifth round pick and they will presumably move forward, um, you know, with their current group of receivers. And, you know, one of the things you've heard me say a number of times on the podcast is next year when they're addressing their wide receiver group, you want to get that, you know, that speed guy. Um, and speaking of speed guy that can maybe take the top off of the defense, you know, we'll wrap up today's episode talking about Mariota's deep passing. So we'll jump back to the previously recorded version of this episode talking uh, about that final subject. So that's where we'll leave this edited, updated uh, breakdown of Brian Edwards' release rather than necessarily his lack of playing time. So, guys, our last question. Um, or is not really a question. It's the last thing I want to talk about um, doing some research over the past week um, is talking a little bit about Marcus Mariota and how he can unlock the offense. Right. And doing the research, we, we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, that Mariota is one of the worst deep passers in the NFL this season. You look at his pro football focus, adjusted completion percentage, which is basically not dinging the quarterbacks for drop passes on those deep throws. Um, on 20 plus yard throws, he's dead last in the NFL. Right. He's only completed about 26 percent of those passes yet despite the fact that low percentage he's attempted the seventh highest percentage i think 15 16 percent of all his throws are those 20 plus yard throws but the league average is around 40 percent uh in terms of completion on those deep throws and based off of the number of attempts that marcus mariota has had uh if he was completing 40 percent of those instead of having 10 completed deep 
th throws this year, he would have 16 uh, completed deep throws this year. And so one of the things you guys know is I keep track of explosive plays and the drives that come on and, and keep track of how many points uh, per drive you get because the tendency I've seen over the last decade plus of tracking this data is that your potential to score goes, shoots through the roof when you generate explosive plays on, a, on a, any given drive. Um, and essentially the easiest way, you can argue the easiest way to generate those 20 plus yard plays, those explosive plays is to throw the ball 20 plus yards rather than relying on the running game or yards after catch to generate those explosive plays. So when you look at the 10 deep balls that Marcus Mariota has completed, they've come on seven drives through these first 11 games and the Falcons have scored 29 points off of those seven drives. That's an average of 4.1 points per drive. That's the same average that they have when you factor in all of 20 plus yard plays, not just the deep balls, uh, runs, yards after catch all that stuff so it, it it lines up in that regard and if you assume that Mariota was league average and so therefore completing six more of those deep balls and if you also assume that they came on six separate drives that would roughly be the equivalent of 25 more points added to the Falcons scoring total this year and if you added 25 more points to their Falcons offense uh, they would go from currently fifth-ranked highest-scoring offense to only the second-ranked highest-scoring offense ahead of Buffalo and only behind Kansas City. Now, even if you didn't think that they came on those you know, six additional deep passes uh, in this alternate reality where Mariota is an league average deep ball thrower, came on six separate drives, let's say it came on four, right? Um, you know, that would still push the Falcons into a top three scoring offense. Uh, and so, you know, all of a sudden we'd be really looking at this Falcons team and offense as like this is playoff caliber. We'd still have question marks about the defense, but we'd be like, hey, this offense is definitely playoff caliber. And maybe we can do some damage if we can score points um, in the postseason and whatnot. Um, but we're currently not looking at it. Now, some of you may be pushing back and be like, well, Aaron, they're, they're already top five, as you just said. So why aren't we talking about them in that same light? Well, part of that is due to the fact that that's, that top five ranking is not due to the offense. It's mostly due to non-scoring touchdowns, right? The Falcons are second in the NFL with four non-offensive touchdowns this year. And so when you remove you know, the Patterson touchdown, the block punt touchdown, the defensive touchdowns, all that and more, right? The Falcons offense is actually the 13th highest scoring offense. When you just factor in, you know, the touchdowns from the offense and the field goals, they're actually 13th in the NFL uh, in terms of the highest scoring rate. And so, you know, um, if you did add in the 25-ish points that we're talking about from Mario's deep balls to the 13th highest scoring offense, all of a sudden they would jump from 13 to 5th right and only be one point behind philadelphia uh in terms of their offensive output who are fourth in this league and so all of a sudden again uh, the point still remains that the deep balls all of a sudden make this offense go from what it truly is which is like above average which is fine um to you know top five you know i almost say elite but near elite let's say that right uh if you think philadelphia has an elite offense i, I don't think they do but you know near elite right so it, again um, we've talked about it a couple of times now over the last couple of weeks is since, you know, Arthur Smith has made his commitment to Marcus Mariota as a starting move forward. It's like, okay, if that's going to be the case, okay, Mario, you got to start hitting these deep balls. And so that's really, you know, where you can find, you know, unlock the full potential of this Falcons offense, right? There, we're never going to be an offense that's going to throw the ball 40 times a, a game and win, right? Like that, that ship has sailed, right? Barring, you know, a, a miracle uh, down the stretch, you know, we're, we're not going to see it. Maybe, you know, maybe we get lucky and we get one game 
you know, Arizona's defense is bad enough where maybe that will happen in that game or something like that. But for the most part, you know, we're going to rely on our top three rushing attack. I think we're second in the NFL um, in, in terms of rushing yards. I don't know where DBO ranking is, but I'm sure it's in the top six or so. Um, and then you couple that with a complimentary deep ball passing game from Marcus Mariota. You know, all of a sudden you're looking like a legit top end offense. Now, again, still concerns, you know, there's, you know, <laughs> there's no miracle coming through that door in terms of defense getting to playoff caliber, but legitimately the offense could look like a playoff caliber offense with a top five rushing attack and a complimentary deep passing game that all Mariota has to be is average. Again, we're not asking him to be the best deep ball passer in the NFL, just be league average, hit 40% of those deep balls. If you're going to push the ball down the field and all of a sudden we do have a legit playoff caliber offense. So I'm hoping to see that develop over these next six games as we get geared up uh, potentially. And I think if we can see that developing, you know, that will be the thing that will allow this offense to win the majority of those games and potentially make a playoff run. So that's a, something to keep an eye on Mario to hitting those deep balls, uh, you know, for the rest of the season. So I um, wanted to, to bring that up. So guys, that's going to do it for us here on this black Friday edition. Uh, if you're out in lines, or, you know, going through, you know, all your web surfing, uh, you know, make sure you check out Simply Safe if you're looking for a new security system, as well as, you know, get those picks in on prize picks as well. So, guys, that's going to do it for us here on today's episode. Really appreciate all you guys sending in your questions, the YouTube comments, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. And, of course, you can hit me up in the Discord at Lockdown Falcons, the link in the description below, guys. We will be back on Sunday, Jarvis, of course, uh, to do that postcast for you guys here to break down whatever happens on uh, this Falcons-Commanders game. And, of course, we've got another great week of content coming from you at Lockdown Falcons. So I hope you guys have a great weekend. You know, enjoy those leftovers. Uh, I know I certainly will. Um, so really appreciate it, guys. Till then.